Welcome to the West Side Audio Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. And if you're looking for more ways to connect with West Side Assembly of God, feel free to check us out at www.westsideag.org. You'll find all the information about our service times, upcoming events, and opportunities for you to plug in and get connected with West Side Assembly of God. Additionally, you'll find a complete online archive of all of the previous and current messages absolutely free of charge. We hope you are encouraged by this week's message, and thanks again for downloading the West Side Audio Message Podcast. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel who had a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of God's people, went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. We find at the opening of the seventh seal the first notable thing is there is silence. It's not unlike that that eerie sensation you have where you know the storm is building and the wind is picking up and things are happening then all of a sudden you get this strange little pause this little silent moment before it just slams. That's kind of the, the, the impact that this silence has. We're just taking a, a short silent break from all the chaos that is coming, has come, and will come. And it was during this time that John writes down what he is seeing happen in heaven. And there's an altar of incense in heaven. The heavenly equivalent of the altar of incense that was found in the earthly tabernacle. Now I find that fascinating that things that we saw here on earth are in heaven. And we have a lot of things that have been built, designed here on earth by God's direction uh, that, that are reflections of what is in heaven. Some people have a hard time believing uh, <clears throat> when they talk about in that New Jerusalem, which we loosely speak about, call it in heaven, you know, the streets of gold, the gates of pearls, those are all human earthly things. Why would they be there? Well, heaven had it first. Why, would, why should we have any of it? <laughs> they had it first. They're the originators. Uh, I know some people struggle with uh, God having any kind of a uh, a, a form, uh, the God having a mouth, God having uh, arms to reach with and fingers because they, they insist that God being God cannot have any kind of form. Uh, not. Well, why not? Uh, it's not a human uh, substance, but why cannot God have a form? And so they said, well, you're trying to make God look like man. No, man looks like God. You got to start with the original. We're spinoffs of that. Very, very poor quality, inferior spinoffs. <laughs> he sees uh, an altar of incense in heaven. One of those, 
one of those uh, pieces of furniture that was found inside the holy place of the tabernacle. Because you would walk into the tabernacle from the east. So you walk into the tabernacle from the east. And on the south side of the tabernacle would be the golden lampstand with the seven lamps on it. And to the north side of it was the table of showbread. Directly ahead as you walked in was the altar of incense. And twice daily the priest would take a censer which was like a, a scoop on the end of a pole. He'd go out side of the tabernacle back east to the sacrificial altar where fires were burning. He'd dip that censer in and get a censer full of hot coals come in walk into the tabernacle put the coals on the altar of incense and take a little recipe of incense and sprinkle it on the fire and the aroma of that incense would fill the tabernacle John was very well aware of how this worked but he, he sees in heaven they're doing the same thing they've got an altar of incense they've got the fire going on it they've got the incenses being placed on it this incense that they use was uh, God's own recipe he doesn't give it out <clears throat> well he did to a certain extent we read in the Old Testament what it was made up of but we don't know what those spices were they don't make any sense to us the the identity specific identity of those spices has been lost to us so we don't know what those aromatics were and furthermore when God did give that recipe for the incense he prohibited using anything else but his recipe you can't just go throw your own concoction on the fire. It has to be what I said it has to be. Furthermore, he also restricted that recipe for the incense being used by the pagans. It's ours and ours only. You cannot bring the pagans recipe or your own recipe in here. You've got to use mine. You can't take mine out and go use it anywhere else. It's holy. It's dedicated. It's specifically for this. Pagan worshipers burned incense upon their altars they probably longed to have some of the Israelites recipe it was mysterious stuff I don't know what they would have done to get their hands on but they couldn't have it pagan worship must never be mixed with godly holy righteous worship that's what all that says to me you can't use theirs, they can't use yours. Keep it separate. Our worship must be pure, must be holy, must be separated. It can't be like the pagans worship. Now you make that application in, in any way you want to make it. But we cannot adopt pagan worship in behalf and towards God. We cannot do that. It doesn't please him. The coals taken from the sacrificial altar tie the altar of incense to the sacrificial altar. And the sacrificial altar speaks to us of blood sacrifice. So you've got the reference to the blood now implied in the incense altar. It's the blending of the blood sacrifice. And it's the cleansing of with the prayers of the dedicated people.
that form worship. Worship and prayer without holiness, without cleansing, without righteousness is offensive to God, just as offensive as the foreign incense that could be brought in. The blood refers to the cleansing, so there's a holiness, there's a purity, there's a righteousness associated with our worship. Now, I enjoy what the worship team does up here. I enjoy good music. I enjoy the moving of the Spirit. But if anybody is trying to enter in to worship God with an unclean heart, it's meaningless. If you're trying to pray with an unclean heart, it's meaningless. That purity, that righteousness is so important for your worship and for your prayers. In Isaiah 1.13, Isaiah says, Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. Because it was a time when Israel had strayed from God. And they were still going through the ritual every day. Twice daily, the priest goes in, puts the incense on the altar. The aroma fills the tabernacle. But Israel was not living for God. They were worshiping but they weren't living for him. They're talking the talk, but they weren't walking the walk. Until the prophet comes along and rebukes them and says, Stop bringing your meaningless sacrifices to God. Specifically, he says, Your incense is detestable to me. What, what incense? Well, they didn't bring their own recipe in. What incense? is detestable. It was their worship was a form of incense symbolically. Their prayers were a form of incense symbolically. I mean when you look at the vision in heaven, what's going on in heaven, the angel takes the incense and puts it on the altar and notice along with the prayers of the saints that's something that goes on the altar that's burning and the incense and the prayers of the saints rise before God and he acknowledges it unless there are prayers of the saints that are not righteous and not holy that's offensive to God that's what Isaiah was talking about you worship him but you worship him with unclean hearts and unclean hands that's offensive. You pray, but you pray with a filthy heart. That's offensive. But the prayers that are placed on the altar in heaven, along with the incense, are not the prayers of unrighteous people. They are the prayers of righteous and holy people together creating this pleasing aroma that arises before God. They are a sweet-smelling sweet aroma in his nostrils. Now these prayers seem to be a catalyst for something. They seem to be the final catalyst for the unleashing of God's wrath on the earth as the silence and the scene of the altar of incense and the prayers upon the altar immediately precede the unleashing of the four trumpets. So it seems as though there is something here that is the final catalyst that causes God's judgment to fall on the earth. You remember the souls of her 
under the altar. And they were crying out, how long, O Lord? They were crying out, how long until we are vindicated? They were praying, but it wasn't quite time yet. God said, not yet. Wait a little bit longer till your brothers and sisters have joined you. Wait a little bit longer. But these, these saints, they're catching a vision in heaven of the prayers of the saints being scooped up by the angel, thrown on the altar and going up. And God says, that smells wonderful. And then he turns and unleashes the trumpets. It has now come to the point where the prayers that have gone on before join the prayers of these saints and finally God responds to it. Now how many of you people, if you're honest, have wondered sometimes, are my prayers accomplishing anything? You pray because you know you're supposed to. You've been taught enough to believe it's the right thing to do. But you wonder, is anything really happening? I pray and I don't see immediate results. And we wonder and we doubt. And that's where the enemy comes in and says, why pray? God never answers your prayers. He always answers everybody else's. But he never answers yours. We get discouraged. You pray and you pray and you pray. And the reason that you feel like nothing is happening is because there are things that are transpiring in the invisible that you can't see. If you don't pray, you contribute nothing to that sweet aroma that rises before God. And if you don't live righteous, your prayers are actually offensive. James says the prayer of a righteous person has great power to prevail. But we can look at the obverse of that. What about the prayer of an unrighteous person? It's not powerful. It doesn't prevail. So there's this, there's this understanding, there's this revelation that I find very captivating. That while you're praying, things happen in the other world. Things happen in heaven. We, we see it right there. We don't all get a peek into heaven like this. But John got it and he wrote it down for us. People on earth are praying. And in heaven, they're taking care of business. And God is ordering angels to scoop up the prayers. Put them on the altar. Let's fill this holy temple with the sweet aroma of the prayers of my people. Are you accomplishing anything? We go back to the book of Daniel because there's an interesting thing that happened there. When Daniel was struggling with trying to process the visions that God was giving him. And this is in the 10th chapter if you care to make a note of that. And the vision that Daniel received was so disturbing it threw him into three weeks of mourning and fasting. He was agitated. And during these three weeks praying and trying to have a breakthrough, nothing was happening. And then finally, one day, this majestic, powerful angel dressed in this impressive garb comes to Daniel. And Daniel says, you know, he's, he's thinking, where have you been for three weeks? Now, it's interesting because the angel responds, you know, I'd have been here sooner, but he was detained. 
he had to wrestle with the prince of the Persian kingdom. He said, that prince of the Persian kingdom, which we're referring to a spiritual being, he said, he resisted me for 21 days. Daniel is praying, and there was a spiritual battle going on between this mighty angel of God and some powerful force known as the prince of Persia, some evil, wicked, opposing force. And they are battling while Daniel is praying, and they battle for 21 days. And the devil wants you to give up during that time when you're praying and nothing's happening until you, you are not making any progress. God's not listening to you. Nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to change. But you don't know who God has deployed in your behalf to cause things to happen. You don't know that if you had kept on praying, what a breakthrough there might have been for you. Now, I'm not trying to get weird and spooky with this. I'm very cautious about seeing angels everywhere. I don't do that. But I do know this, that we have two examples in Scripture. When you pray, things happen in the other world you know nothing about. You've got to keep praying. The angel came and told Daniel, don't be afraid. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and humble yourself before God, your words were heard. And I have come to respond to them. The prince of Persia resisted me for 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief priests, he radios for backup. Michael comes to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I've come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future for the vision concerns a time yet to come. When you pray, you set things in motion in heaven. When you persist in prayer, you see it through. When you quit praying, it just stinks. We're so geared towards seeing results. We grow weary when we labor. We don't see results. I've told you before. I'm just as impacted by that as anybody. I like to see something happen for my efforts. It's difficult to labor in God's kingdom to work the fields of souls and not see the progress. Because we're in this, this situation where there's the sowing and the growing and the reaping. And sometimes the sowing and the reaping are a long time apart. I wish they came more seasonally. But sometimes they, it's, it's a lifetime of sowing before you see any reaping. And that's difficult. And I, as I started to say, that's the reason. I grow tomatoes. In my life, it's something tangible for my efforts. <laughs> and so, when you're, when you're ministering, when you're, when you're working in God's kingdom and you're seeing nothing, go look at your tomatoes. It lets you know that you're worth something. It let, it let those tomatoes from this day forward and your corn and, and, and your green beans... Uh, let, let that remind you from this day forward that there are things happening because of your labor you can't see but there is a harvest coming keep praying prayer is not superstition 
And when we don't see results, and we doubt whether we, it's even worthwhile to continue praying, you're losing faith. You, you, have, you have to put your faith in your prayers. And people, it's not hard for people to have faith. It's just hard for people to have faith in God. To have faith in God things. To have faith in prayer. People find it real easy to have faith in the weirdest things. How many of you here today remember and know what an asafidity bag is? What a God, one person here. I, this, is, this is wonderful. I get to tell you something you don't know. I, that's always a great, you don't remember asafidity bag. Okay, it, it, just in short, it was a stinky bag that they hung around people's necks years ago. It was filled with the nastiest little potions and, and concoctions and, and things ground up and put in there. And they believed you put this nasty, stinky bag around your neck and it, it, it's, so, it's so disgusting, colds would not dare come near you. <laughs> if you had any diseases in your body, they had to go because I'm not living here anymore. This is absolutely true. Go look it up. And I'm not old enough to remember anybody wearing an affinity bag. But I'm old enough to remember them talking about it when I was a child. People put their faith in that stuff. And boy, it's rank. Whoo, boy. You know, they have stories talking about grandma wearing her affinity bag. And then she wants to give you a big old hug. People put their faith in the strangest things. They put their faith, and I, I'm sorry, I don't want to. I don't want to step on your sacred cows, but I mean, somebody suggests if you wear a cop, copper bracelet or a magnet, put a magnet around your wrist or copper bracelet on your wrist or magnets in your shoes, that it 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 solves your knee problems, your wrist problems, uh, it, it takes away your arthritis, and some people believe it works. But I, I'm just telling you, there's absolutely no shred of scientific empirical evidence that it works, but people believe it. Uh, people believe that uh, the asafinity bag, that no, no scientific evidence had ever worked, but they believed in it. People believe in, in uh, uh, folklore cures. And uh, I know people that, that uh, they run home, put a, a bar of soap under their sheet because it solves the restless leg syndrome. And they think it works, but there's no scientific empirical proof. But I'm telling you, the reason I'm telling you this is because it's not hard to have faith. It's just what you decide to have faith in. And so you got faith in Magnets and copper and soap. You can have faith in prayer. You can. Because prayer works. You say, well, there's no scientific empirical evidence. Well, that's true. There's not. But there is the infallible Word of God that has every testimony you need that God answers prayer. And far beyond these other things that we have faith in, have faith in prayer. Throughout history, even to this day, people continue to pray. So why do we faint so quickly in prayer when we hold so strongly to these other things? And there's there even a slight chance that somebody's going to come up to me afterwards and say, you mentioned so, so I'm here to tell you it works. Well, that's fine with me. Well, do, you, do you believe in prayer? Is that your testimony? Or is your testimony just your bracelet? 
I want to know if you've got a testimony about prayer. Prayer works. Are you firmly convicted of that? That's what I want to know. The other things are fine with me. I just want to hear you say, now prayer works. I guarantee you it works. You don't always see it. You don't always feel it. But prayer changes things. So don't faint in prayer. The saints pray. It's added to the altar. The aroma goes up. The tabernacle, the, the temple in, in heaven is filled. And then God says, I like this. I believe it's now time to unleash the trumpets. In this chapter, the first four trumpets sound. The first three trumpets include some of the elements from Old Testament judgments, especially Egypt. The, together, combined, they contain hail, fire raining upon the land. Uh, there's two objects falling to earth. One is described as a huge mountain. The other is described as a blazing star. As a result of this, one-third of the waters are, are destroyed. They're poisoned. They're turned to blood. As a result of that, a third of the sea creatures die. A third of the trees died. All the grass was destroyed. And multiplied thousands of people die due to the contaminated water and the conditions on the earth. And then the fourth trumpet that sounded was darkness. And those things remind us of the plagues that God sent into Egypt which included hail, fire, water that's contaminated with blood, darkness, and great loss of life. So it's just taking things that God has done before and just putting it on a much greater scale. And if we, if we still assume that those 144,000 we talked about that are sealed and they're protected, then you can re be reminded of the time when in Egypt all of these things came upon the Egyptians, but guess who was protected? God's people. The judgment came, the darkness came, the, uh, the, the plagues came, the, the water turned to blood. But God's people weren't impacted by it at all. They were okay. So you understand when God seals something, you're protected, you're okay. Here's my takeaways from the trumpets. Number one, well, uh, from this entire chapter, back to the prayer. Prayer can be instrumental in moving God to go forward with his plan. Specifically here, let's say, prayer can motivate God to deliver justice and judgment in this world. Now we've got to be careful. Be very, very careful and do not misunderstand what I'm saying. I don't think that we would take, I, I, God would not be pleased if we would pray strictly, God, strike this world with a plague. Spare me, but strike this world with a plague. Send your judgment. Destroy these wicked people. Because after all, we are evangelists. We want to see people saved. But it's not out of order to pray that God execute his justice. And you know, he's not waiting totally, entirely, until the end days, the last days, and the things in Revelation to execute his justice. He's been doing that in bits and pieces all along. That's just going to be the one that really wraps it all up. That's the grand finale. But God has been periodically executing his judgment upon this world. So your prayer can be instrumental in God bringing justice and judgment in this world. If there are people that are so headstrong against God, they're never going to change. If there are people that are, are 
bent on destroying everything righteous and good and holy, then maybe it's time for God to send some judgment along. That's not out of order for us to pray for that. God is a God of justice. And not every event that happens is a direct judgment of God. And we have to be careful about this, which is my, uh, my second point. God can and does execute judgment through the elements of this world. He executes judgment through wind and rain and floods and, fires and fire and storms and, and uh, uh, meteors. And, and this is where I have to say be very careful again because not every fire is the judgment of God. Not every tornado is the judgment of God. We have to be careful. But God has used those things to bring judgment. So, you know, we should not think carelessly about those things. We shouldn't always automatically conclude Mother Nature's just having a fit. Because sometimes God is behind things that happen in order to execute judgment. And then on the other hand, we should not think that every storm and every catastrophe that comes along is the judgment of God because sometimes there's nothing specifically that is being addressed. So it's, it's really a strange world to recognize that God has done that, God can do that, and God probably will do that again, but not to buy into being totally convinced either way, every time. Uh, after all, you can ask Ron, your insurance company acknowledges that some things are just what? An act of God. I'm glad they still believe that there is a God. Of course, it's very convenient for them because we're not responsible for acts of God. Can't help you. Now, if the insurance companies ever go atheist, they'll run out of excuses. Then they're going to be paying out there. But so far, that's their out, an act of God. And some things, you know, some things are the act of God. I have to wonder sometimes. The state that we are in in the United States, how much of the difficulties that we're having are because people are turning their backs on God? I have to wonder about that. I don't know. But I know there are times whenever drought has taken a nation, a country, and the people got together and they prayed until they broke the drought. God can do that. When I was a little boy in my neighborhood, I came from a full gospel, uh, meaning we believe all the Bible, uh, Pentecostal uh, church with, with Arminian doctrine. And I didn't have anybody else on my block with that kind of a background. Uh, the two little boys that were my closest playmates, they, they went to uh, another church. I'm not going to name the church. It doesn't make any difference at this point. Uh, but one of them came home from Sunday school and said, you know what I learned today? It says, so, so interesting that uh, God doesn't stop storms and he doesn't stop tornadoes and he, do, he, he doesn't do that. And you know, I was only about eight or nine or ten, but already my, my theology kicked in. What do you mean God can't? God absolutely can do those things. Well, their church didn't believe it. Now, it's not odd. There's a lot of churches that, due to the fact that they are cessationists, they know what God used to be able to do, but he just doesn't do that anymore. Of course, we're, uh, we can, we're continuous. 
we, we believe that God is the same yesterday and today and forever. And what he could do before, he can still do today. He can forever do. And so, yeah, God can stop the flood. He can stop the fire. He can answer the prayers of the saints who come together and, said, and say, God, we're repenting. We're doing a national repentance today. We're sorry for how we have strayed from you and droughts have been broken and things have happened because God is in control of the elements. Not only can he send the judgment, he can break the natural course of things. And if you, I mean, this is the God that can split the sea. This is the God that can cause the sun to stand still, so to speak. Time to, to be paused. This is the God that he speaks. And the winds and the waves obey him. Of course he can do these things. Away with this nonsense that God is out of control and he can't control nature at all. A few years ago, a man named Walter Kaiser, who is the president of Cornwell, Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary, had this to say. Please listen closely to the quote. North American society is headed for destruction and judgment. Uh, already right out of the box. That's shocking. And we had better believe it is coming because there is no sign that repentance is near. It's coming or else God is a liar and his word is not true. Here's the one that seals the de deal. The prophet's message must be preached today. What is the prophet's message? What was he talking about? The prophet's message is this. That we are due for judgment. The prophet's message is that God is long-suffering but he won't hold it forever. The prophet's message is if you do not repent, judgment can and will come. And it doesn't have to wait until revelation to happen. The prophet's message is that America is going down the sinkhole. And when God lifts his hand of protection and hand of blessing and the things start coming upon us and we don't know what in the world is going on, it's because we have lost our connection with God. Jesus said in the book of Luke, and there, there should be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and upon the earth distress of nation with perplexity. The sea and the waves roaring. And talking about... Uh, the heavens shall be shaken as a victory shaken over untimely figs. Distress of nations. Perplexities. Problems that have no solutions. And these, the sun turned black as sackcloth of hair, the moon turned to blood. These things coming up on the earth and men's hearts failing them for fear of the things coming up on the earth. That's God's judgment. That's man's wickedness. That's what's coming. That's the prophet's message. The prophet's message is not being preached enough and we are paying the piper for that. It's missing from today's pulpit. We have the message of positive thinking. Come to church and we'll tell you how to think your way positive through life this week. We have messages of self-improvement. We have messages that just simply promote love, not hate. Let's all together get together and have a group hug. You got messages about how to fix your finances. Messages about how to fix your marriage. Messages about how to fix your church. Messages about how to fix the congregation. Fortunately, the preachers aren't preaching, unfortunately, how to fix your pastor. Give the microphone to you. 
to fix your depression. But we don't hear many messages warning us that God is a God of justice, that he's ready to send judgment on America if we don't repent and turn back to him. It's not popular. It's never been popular. Prophets of old who tried to preach like that got stoned. They got mocked. They got rejected. But they came with the word of God against a wicked generation and they dared to speak the truth. This nation needs a call to repentance. We're not good. We're not great. We are sliding into hell at an alarming rate. People are dropping out of church. They're dropping their faith. They're forgetting God. They're scrubbing God from every public place we have. They don't want God in their business. America needs repentance. Judgment is coming. And this slack generation needs a wake-up call against the creeping paralysis of worldliness and the spirit of slumber that's taking over us. And people, not only is judgment coming, but judgment is at hand. Would you bow your heads?